So people who met me uh, through Rush, uh, God rest them, know that I got made fun of by the Maha for continuing to live in Seattle. Well, I'm now out, but I keep track of my former city. And we're about to talk with a cop who has sent, posted the most gorgeous resignation letter I've ever read. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Each of us must make a decision, either passively or actively, to choose the size of the Lord or the other side. And on the show, if what I do with the job correctly, we put God at the center, conservative politics at the edges. These are just some random headlines. I literally just went on to social media and said, hey, what's going on in my former city of Seattle? Let me just fire through these real quick. Four teens arrested after gunfire erupts in Tacoma neighborhood that's just south of Seattle. Officers arrested a man Thursday morning in Capitol Hill after he stole a car with an infant in the backseat, rolled the car over in a collision, then fled the scene and said, thank God the baby's okay. Burglar caught by Woodenville seven-year-old in the family living room. A man allegedly terrorized a Seattle school, grabbing two students, according to the custodian. Yet the uh, Black Lives Matter Incorporated suppo- uh, supporting principal, Rick uh, Belazaki, refused to cooperate with police. According to the SPD principal, R. Belazaki would not speak to the cop who showed up, uh, even though this guy was menacing his school. And we know that can end poorly. Everybody knows Seattle um, is a mess. Uh, It's, in my judgment, it's not dying. It's being murdered. I think the soul of Seattle is dead. I think now they're killing the body. Um, And I saw a friend of mine, Jim, is a retired cop, decorated cop, I would add, highly decorated, out of Seattle, who lives over in uh, the more free portion of the world now, or America, Idaho, and he sent me a note from um, Officer Megan Reynolds uh, from the South Precinct Patrol. And I've posted this. I want you to see it. It's a beautiful resignation note, although it is very sad to have to read. Um, gosh, I, I want to call you officer, but I guess I, I just have to call you Megan. Welcome to the Todd Herman Show, Megan. Thank you, Todd. Yes, I'm, I'm former officer. <laughs> Do you miss being called officer? It has been weird. I've encountered a few new people and um, they'll thank my husband for working as a police officer, but now I'm not. So it's, it, it has been very strange because that was, that was the goal of mine, but you know, since I can remember becoming a police officer. So saying goodbye to that career has been a little difficult for me. What drew you to it? Uh, well, honestly, I wanted to help people who couldn't help themselves. I wanted to stand up for the people who, um, don't really have a voice, especially children and elderly people. So I'm very strong and <laughs> stubborn and hard-headed sometimes, so I can stand up for the weak sometimes. That's, that's awesome. And, and folks, as we go through this conversation uh, with Megan, uh, remember our partners at Soda Weight Loss, helping my wife drop unwanted fat from her body. They'll help you too, sodaweightloss.com. I lost 150 pounds. I've kept that off, um, sodaweightloss.com. Um how has the city changed since you were a cop uh, for cops, Megan? 
I'm sorry. How has the city changed in regards to being a cop? How has the city changed for cops? Like I, I'll give you some context. I have a lot of cop friends and it became all of a sudden it was common for people to flip them off, like in their car yeah. or say things like, I hope you die. Um, yes. so what kind of changes did you see while you were in the force? Well, I worked for eight years and I would say the first three years were actually really enjoyable. Um, people seemed to be happy to have us there when they would call us for calls and stuff. They were very appreciative of our service. We've had people come up, go out of their way to come over and thank us for our service. But as the years went on and as the city kind of progressed more and more into just this chaos that it's in and just very, very um, political driven things, I believe that we see more people just flagrantly um, belittling us in the streets, saying terrible things to us, saying what they want to do to us, what they want to do to our families. There's been more of that than there has been um, people thanking us for what we do. So it has definitely taken a really, really strong turn for the worse. <laughs> it, it's so heartbreaking. You know, I come from a family, um, a lot of cops in my family. Um, it's so heartbreaking what's been done to the minds of young people. Um, I remember the, you know, when Antifa took over Capitol Hill and that family decided to bring that little boy to the, to the riot and he encountered pepper spray. It wasn't sprayed at him. Uh, I talked to one of the cops who was right next to that boy. And that, that parent was saying to that little boy, you see, this is what pigs do. This is why we tell you to hate them. See, this is what they're going to do to you. They hate you. Um, how, how did you maintain your morale as, as the city started to be murdered? Then we'll get into your note, your reason for leaving, because I think it's very unique what you've written. So, so how did you maintain your morale? You just have to remember why you started doing the job in the first place. Going into being a police officer, even a few years ago, it was always kind of a thankless job. Um, you know, remembering who you're doing it for and why you're doing it. Uh, morale at the department was very low, and the department's kind of turned officers against each other. And that certainly has been a huge, has taken a huge toll on the department in, it, in this itself. You know, we wanted to see more unity over the vaccine mandate. And it was kind of everybody for themselves, unfortunately, instead of everybody just coming together and saying, no, yeah. we're not, we're not doing that. And so you can just see the morale just breaking down yeah. within the department. The South Precinct's not a precinct without challenges. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of gang violence there. Um, and I've seen some of that and, and lived in Des Moines, Normandy Park, and then used to live up in South Park. And we saw a good amount of gang violence up in South Park. And your note has a theme that runs through it. Uh, your resignation notes, and I would regard that the, the core theme is, uh, I mean, it's, it's about the COVID injections, and I've stood so firmly against those forever because they're, they're terrible. Um, but there's also this word cowardice you use a lot, and y you do a very good job of describing this, but let's, in, in person, let's talk about cowardice from the top. I don't even want to call people who display these habits leaders, their bosses, because there's a difference between being a leader and a boss. So uh, what did you mean by this, this theme of cowardice? How have you observed that? It seems that the upper echelon at Seattle Police Department has always um, hidden behind 
some kind of facade. Um, it'll be, well, the mayor told me to do this or somebody else. They can't ever stand up and take ownership for their decisions. Whenever they make a call to do something, they'll hide behind it later if it has a, a bad ending. Uh, we saw that with, with the chop zone and taking over the, the East Precinct. And I don't know if you've seen that recently, but it's come out the chief best uh, text messages so that she knew. She knew that they were going to be giving up the East Precinct, but she lied about it. That's what I'm talking about, the cowardice of hiding behind lies. Um, they want to put up this front that we're doing the best we can for the city. We're doing everything we can. But the reality is, is no, they're not. <laughs> In those text messages, you can see that she knew that we were giving up the East Precinct. And she said, these things happen. Where else has that ever happened? Right. I've never seen another police department give up a precinct and let blocks of, of the city go into complete chaos. But that's what I'm talking about. That's the cowardice. They hide behind it and then they lie to cover it up. And it's like ordering glass balls and pepper spray. But then the supervisor who ordered those things saying, oh, I never told them to do that. But they did. You know, that's the cowardice I'm talking about. The leaders saying, telling us to do something. And then when something bad happens from that or there's some political backlash oh i never ordered that that wasn't me and then they'll just throw the officers down in front of the bus to be run over and that's the cowardice i'm talking about it, it is it sounds so political and you know i remember watching uh, and i call it antifistan because i think chop and chaz are actually cool names so i try to call it antifistan <laughs> um i remember watching guys with um that look like AR setups and other semi-autos for sure. They're in the back of pickup trucks unmarked and they're driving around downtown Seattle. They're preventing you officers from reporting and stopping vandalism and God knows what else beatings. And, yeah. and this is a city where they put a lot of effort into telling, you know, Bobby Q citizen, Hey, we'll, we'll destroy you. If we find out you have a Glock, you know, by your bed, that's not in a safe. Um, and I don't know how many cops were, I mean, assaulted, but I know that one of your colleagues was hit in the back of the head with an aluminum baseball bat, right? Mm -hmm. From these same people. And Car yeah. Carmen Best, the former chief who, who liked to try to play tough. So she knew all that time that you guys were risking your lives to stop that, like the, the gentleman who introduced us, Jim has a picture of himself standing between the rioters and that precinct and that wall of, of cops. So she knew you guys were risking your life for something they'd already decided to let the terrorists have the building. Is that right? Yeah. And for political motivation to pander. To pander to who? I mean, how would you describe oh. the people they're pandering to? At that moment, it seemed more like because it was the Black Lives Matter movement that was really taking over and Antifa was kind of leading the charge yeah. there. Uh, just, you know, chaos. But I believe that it was a political stunt for, you know, we believe this Black Lives Matter thing. And if we hold the line here, that's basically us saying that we don't agree with the Black Lives Matter thing. I think that that's kind of where that came from. Um, just we have to let them have this, right? And, if we don't, then we don't agree with them that Black Lives Matter, I think is kind of what it boiled down. In my opinion, that's what it seems to kind of boil down to. Agreed. And then they also, when they got the building, they got officers' wedding rings. Um, they got their IDs. Mm 
they mm-hmm. got access to the computers because you guys yep. often do not wear your wedding rings when you're on the street because you don't want someone to have leverage on you. Right. Wow. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of uh, forewarning either. I have a former sergeant that I had worked with East Precinct whenever that happened. And he said that whenever they showed up for work that evening, when they gave up the precinct, they were all loaded off in the Amazon uh, parking lot near the West Precinct. And they were expecting these people to report to duty. And he said, no, my people aren't working tonight. All of their stuff was in that building and they're not in the right mentality to go to work. I'm sorry, but you're expecting these people, they don't have their uniforms. They don't have their boots. They, some of them may not have their weapons. Who knows? And they, they had gone through the locker rooms and tried to clean out everybody's lockers that they could. And they just had a pile of officers' belongings, like find your stuff. And uh, yeah, my, my, sergeant was like, no, my people aren't working tonight. And that's the, the people in my letter I was talking about. Those are the people who are standing up for their officers. You know, no, these people can't work, you know, but here's the upper echelon. No, they need to go to work right now. <laughs> they don't care. There's such a disconnect. You are um, in your letter. You do a very good job of calling out um, cops who are actual leaders and, mm-hmm. and actually take responsibility and uh, sound like the sort of people, if they make a mistake, they step up and say, hey, that was my mistake. Right. And yeah. they stand by that as, as strong men and women do. Um, Megan, when, you know, CHOP and Tifistan really got disconcerting for people, I found this fascinating, was when they made their way over to Mayor Jenny's house. All of a sudden then now, man, this is serious. But I understand right. throughout that period of time, Mayor Jenny had guards on her house. Um, a guy who is the King County executive, I refer to him as Smack Daddy Dal Constantine because he's helped move heroin into town. I understand he had sheriff's guards. I understand as the precinct was given up, um, even, even people who said rioting's not bad, like you had city council women saying, oh, I don't want to hear anyone saying rioting is a bad behavior. Uh, I understand people like that had cops guarding them. Um, right. So that's true. That happened. They, they chose to yeah. keep themselves guarded. Really? And they kept themselves guarded with, with Seattle police officers, the one, the city council members and the mayor. Um, I know the North Precinct had a designated um, like shift for every single shift. They had officer go sit at her house. Uh, fully uniformed officer on duty. And this is, of course, we're short staffed, so they would have to have officers hold over from second watchers or, or whatever because they had somebody sitting at her house 24-7. Now, whenever um, Bruce Terrell became the mayor, now we have somebody in the South Precinct 24-7 sitting at his house. And there doesn't seem to be a threat there. I don't know why, you know, they can't pay for their own private security. They're using the cities. Um I don't know if that would be a misuse. I, I would look at that as a misuse. If I lived in Seattle and I said I need an officer sitting at my house all day long just to make sure my family's safe, I'm sure they wouldn't be okay with that. Right. But, the, you know, there's, and I don't think that there's currently any kind of threat. Maybe there is, but I'm sure that they could find a detail to stay with the mayor that's not assigned officers that are supposed to be working patrol at that time and protecting the citizens of Seattle already short-staffed already long wait times to even arrive for a priority one call. I just feel like it's a, bad, a really bad um, misuse. Yeah. And <laughs> the priority one calls. Um, I have heard audio of dispatch responding to a 911 call. Business owners saying, we're watching our cameras. There are people in our business now destroying our things now. 
and mm-hmm. and dispatch relaying this to the officers and officers saying, tell them we don't have any units. We're sorry. Assaults, active yeah. assaults, people being beaten up. And officers yeah. are forced to say, I'm sorry, we can't roll. Then this, Megan, and uh, this also will uh, help set the scene for something you experienced as a woman in a city where women don't exist because there's no such thing as women. Because if you say you're a woman, boom, woman. Um, right. th- they have stopped taking reports on new rapes. Mm-hmm. They have, so rapes have been at record highs since the Black Lives Matter incorporated movement stopped, you know, threatened cops into stopping proactive policing. Every cop knows if you're rolling a scene and you are forced to produce a firearm, every cop knows that's a jackpot, right? You just put yourself in a career jackpot, but they've actually stopped taking reports for new rapes. I mean, as a cop and then as a female cop recently resigned, how do you feel about that? obviously it's infuriating because like I told you before, I became a cop to protect people who don't have a voice or can't um, stand up against that violence. And, you know, seeing the new, the new uh, news from Seattle that they're not taking uh, the child molestation cases and stuff like that, that is infuriating. Like what's more, like what's more important than that? Like we're so short staffed. How are you providing the service to Seattle that their taxpayers are paying for, for this police service. You have to provide those kind of services and they're not. And these things aren't getting investigated. And part of that, I know several people who were um, working those kind of cases that were put on leave because they're unvaccinated. So what's more important being vaccinated or following up on a, a race case, you know? Yeah. And I've asked cops this before. I'll ask you, do the criminals know this stuff's not being investigated anymore? That's in the news. So I guess if the criminals are watching the news, right. <laughs> they should know. They drive away. They know they can drive away. They do. You guys light yeah. them up and they know they don't have to stop. And that's been in Seattle for a while because there are other, before the state law passed, there were other um, jurisdictions that would still chase. Yeah, Pierce County just running up through Seattle at some point. Um, and it would be information for us as officers to know that they had a, a pursuit going through our city. Uh, so there were, they were, you know, I think it made more criminals brazen to go into these other cities and think that, okay, everything's like Seattle, but then they would get chased down by this other agency. Now they know they can all just get away. And there's been um, studies that has, I don't know, the numbers, the data that came out of that was really disturbing with how many people just drive away from troopers that try to pull them over or drive, you know, they know I can just drive away. I don't have to stop. And why would they people that are committing these kind of heinous crimes? They're not going to stop. They never did before. That's why we had to get into pursuits. That's why we had to go after these people who are kidnapping children and uh, armed robberies and and stuff like that. They're still posing a threat to the, to the public at large because they're armed. They're dangerous. They've already committed this terrible crime and they're what's going to stop them from, from doing something else. We're supposed to, right. But we're prevented from being able to do that now. Yeah. And, and then came the shots and then came the injections and came the MRNA, which Pfizer and Moderna said in their filings, they said, this doesn't stop infection. It doesn't stop transmission. They lied about the number of side effects they lied. Pfizer did. Pfizer never tested it on pregnant women. Not once. They tested it on pregnant rats. 
then they stopped that testing because it was catastrophic data. Uh, we've seen an unprecedented number of miscarriages and stillbirths we are seeing now. They've even given it a name, sudden adult death syndrome. Weird. Uh, people in their mid-30s dying from heart attacks and strokes and, and, and doctors are just baffled. So we'll continue with Megan, who was told, you're going to get injected. But she was a breastfeeding mom and she asked for some accommodation and they just couldn't figure out how to do that. They could accommodate a lot of other things, not that. Plus, in a city where women don't exist, what's it like to be a female cop? Because it sounds like it got pretty scary at times. We'll continue okay. to talk with Megan here. Um, folks, I know, you know what? Do you, hey, do you drink coffee? Megan, do you drink coffee? All right. I do. All right. Hold on. You're going to hear this because I'm going to send you some of this if you'll let me. Uh, Bone Frog Coffee has been a longtime partner of ours. We are so very honored to help Tim Cruikshank. Um, Tim is a 25-year Navy veteran, Navy SEAL, who founded this company because, um, number one, he wants to feed his family in a sustainable way with quality. Funny thing about SEALs, like completing the job is really important, so is quality. Because if you skimp on quality when you're Navy SEAL, that means things like, oh, dang it, I actually forgot to bring our QRF code. That doesn't work in the field because then you're dead. Uh, and your brothers are dead. So every bag says God, country, team, right down to the detail of picking a mentor. Dave Stewart helped start Seattle's best coffee. He is one of the greatest coffee brewers, creators in the world. He mentors them, does some of their brews. So it comes right down to the product. You can get it in espresso. You can get it in French press. You can get it in drip. You can get it in K-cup. And by the, or you could go to Costco that hates you, but you know. I mean, it's hard to break the habit of Costco. Bonefrog Coffee, uh, God Country Team. And we don't ask you to, to, to keep buying the coffee if you don't dig it. We don't even ask you to, to try it because the story is great. It is a great story. We ask you to simply give it a try because it's a great American company being built the right way. If you like it, you'll get 10, pardon me, 5% off for the rest of your life from bonefrog.us. It's the only place you get the 10% off. Plus then we get credit. And then I can brag to my brother, Tim, that we're helping him build this company. Actually, he's helping us too. It's win-win. Bonefrog.us. And I'm going to send Megan some. Because that's what we do. What's, uh, what's your favorite roast of coffee? Like, do you like a dark roast, a medium roast? And what should I get for your husband? You guys drink the same coffee? Yeah, dark roast. Dark roast. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, do you like the uh, French press? You like the, what, what do you like? How do you take your coffee? French press. French press. Okay. French press on the way. Um, later I'll get an address. I can send it to you. Can get, you, you, you can just send a PO box. You don't want some weird Idaho redneck having your address, but, but then what, <laughs> what am I doing? You guys are cops. You guys are not scared of that stuff. Um, so Megan, the, um, the shots came along and I was saddened at how many people just said, yeah, I'll, I'll take the shots. But then I thought about it. I think that the cowardly bosses who work for people, I think that Shama Sawant, some of those city council people, they want to destroy America. And I think they know they can do that by destroying a police force because that's how you murder a city. Then I started to think about, well, wh who do they actually want to be cops, right? They don't want people like you and your husband. They want people who will take truly ridiculous orders. The shots came out and you determined that as a breastfeeding mom, you could not take these. So, so run me through that. Yeah, I, uh, I, well, and then there was the religious aspect of it too. Um, yeah. Knowing those shots were uh, tested and created using fetal cell lines. I just can't, 
I can't get on board with that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, a Christian woman, but yeah, and also the evidence that was coming out for breastfeeding mothers, there were a few um, headlines that I saw about breastfeeding women um, who took the shot and their baby died. I'm like, okay, no, nope. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was already kind of fast on that, but I'm not doing it for certain now because I'm not going to put my child at risk. And there's just not enough evidence just for just, if you're looking at it from a purely maternal thing, not my Christian identity in there, I just, I couldn't, I would have to stop nursing her in order to feel comfortable with that. It just doesn't seem very ethical to use your child as a test rat. Right. No. And, and, yeah. and by the way, you know, um, the spike proteins can transfer person to person and Pfizer knew this. They warned about it. They warned about it. Avoid close right. contact with people you love. And that's mm -hmm. not breastfeeding. That's, that's, that's close contact. So they right. knew that. And you asked for an exemption. Now, let's go through some, some facts about uh, Seattle, as I understand it, that you, a, a city employee in Seattle, can call every cop a Nazi white supremacist. That's accommodated. Um, yeah. Men can walk into work and say, hey, I'm a woman, and then go into your locker rooms and showers naked. Yeah. And that's accommodated. Um, but a breastfeeding mom, what was the response when you said, number one, I'm a Christian, thou shalt not murder. I cannot use something that was the product of fetal, you know, aborted fetal cell lines, can't do it. And I see no, not enough evidence that this is safe. What was the response from the bosses higher up? Well, originally there was, um, you know, the, the exemption was granted but they didn't want to make any accommodation. So I was placed on unpaid leave and I had just had my baby pretty recently. So at that point I didn't have any um, sick leave time built up or anything because I'd used it all before I came back to work after having my baby. I wanted to stay at home with her as long as I could. So I burned through all of my time. So I was like basically one of the people that was put on uh, unpaid leave immediately. I didn't have time. There's a lot of people that are still able to use time right now that I know of that are still on the payroll yeah. <laughs> and they're using whatever leave time they have, but it was pretty immediate for me. And, um, that was, that was hard because my husband and I, everything that we built our life around was our dual income. So just being forced out of my income because I'm trying to make the best choices as a Christian, um, to, you know, stick to my convictions and as a mother, uh, worried for her breastfeeding child <laughs> and her. Um, so we did an accommodation meeting where I wrote a letter and uh, basically read to them the evidence that I had of the breast milk uh, passes that spike protein through it to my child. And I wasn't safe with that. And there, the FDA had published that there was um, no known evidence, whether it was safe or not, um, in lactating or pregnant women. And I'm like, how can you force me to take this? Because you're, it's not just me you're forcing. If you're forcing me to take a vaccine, you're forcing it into my daughter too. And they said that, that, you know, they wanted a copy of the letter. I sent it to them. And then they said, uh, it was like a few weeks later, I received a letter basically saying, um, sorry, you're not being accommodated. Here's this ridiculous stuff that we came up with. Uh, you can be, you can resign. You can get the vaccine. Um, we can do an eight week search for a different job for you maybe, uh, or we'll eventually separate you from employment. But the next day I received a, an email from the HR director saying that wasn't for you. 
So that's just another evidence that of these form letters, they just kept on sending out masks to anybody who hadn't been vaccinated. They accidentally sent it to me. So he said, that was erroneously sent to you. Sorry, you're still in the accommodation process. Um, you'll hear from us again later. And I asked everybody else in my group of STD officers that haven't been vaccinated, and they all got that same letter, but they didn't get the, I'm sorry, that wasn't meant for you. So I think at first they were afraid of the optics of um, firing, basically, or forcing out of employment the breastfeeding mother. And then I wait and wait and wait. And then this was in November when they sent that stuff to me. I wait until April, I finally hear something from them. So was that five months later? <laughs> I finally hear something. And it was, hey, have you taken the vaccine yet? Um, what's your plan moving forward? You know, if I'm giving you a brief synopsis of what the letter said. Yeah. So I wrote back to them, I'm still nursing my daughter. Um, I'm not going to take the, the shot until I'm done nursing her. And they finally, in May, they sent out these letters to us saying, we're turning off your insurance, all of your ben- insurance benefits, dental, um, vision, and health insurance, which I'm under my husband's health insurance. We weren't paying double for that, but I did have my own dental and vision plan because it was double coverage. And um, they said that they were backdating it. So I got this letter in May and they're saying they're backdating it through October 31st, 2021. So, and and if you um, want coverage, you're going to have to pay the COBRA coverage costs for those months, or you can pay your provider for anything that you had done during that time. So this is, wow. you know, six, seven months later. I had no idea that entire time. They didn't tell us that we weren't being covered. And whenever I called Delta Dental, I asked them and they said, oh, no, you still have insurance coverage. So they, they're going to like call Delta Dental and say, you need to back terminate this to October 31st and get your money back from the providers for anything that you had done. And I, uh, during that time, I went ahead and got Invisalign. And so if I don't pay these back pay like $1,200, I think it is about for COBRA costs for, since like November, starting in November till now, I have to pay back like $3,000 to my own provider for the, the that, work that, I had. That's, done. that's such utter fraud. I mean, and it, it, right. doesn't, it doesn't surprise me in a city that gave um, somewhere on the order. I've seen the numbers around Mayor Jenny, um, 400 to 500 million dollars in total to Black Lives Matter Incorporated groups that, that right. a county that spends a billion a year all in all in when you're talking about theft of services officer time first responder time I know probably Megan you had the frequent flyers you know frequent users you, you'd take them to Harborview you know 10 times a month that sort of stuff yep. all in a billion bucks a year to make homelessness worse and yet they're going to turn around to a cop that they have blackmailed and say, we're going to go back in time and steal from you. That's, and you know, they don't care about money. No one in Seattle leadership gives a hoot about money. This was, we're going to stand on your neck a little bit, but that, you know, and uh, first of all, God bless you for standing up. And uh, I believe the Lord will return sevenfold because that's what he tells us. You refused to take the knee. You stood by thou shalt not murder. And particularly you stood by being a mom. I believe that the Lord Jesus will see to it that you are returned sevenfold. Um, And, but that's not the whole story because there's also this aspect of working in Seattle where women don't exist. 
And yet we're talk, they talk constantly about the war on women. Mayor Jenny used to say, if it was an easy job, they wouldn't have hired a woman to do it because she liked to talk that way. You had some other experiences, Megan. I want to make sure that my audience understands in working an SPD. And do read the letter because Megan is so good at calling out the cops who are actual leaders. Please do read that letter. It's in the show sheets. you got to be in the Substack to get that for the show. Substack uh, for the Todd Herman Show. We'll continue discussion here with Megan. My friend, Zach Abraham, I'm... Um, I'm endlessly thankful for the relationship that we have with him. And particularly now, as I'm listening to Megan's discussion and, and well, having it with her, see, there is security, we think, in, for instance, well, I've got a 403B, I've got a 401K. Did you hear what she just said? Oh, we're going to go back in history and change some things. Um, the party is all about doing stuff like this. If you're thinking about retiring, if you're in that five-year window, uh, please understand something that it is such a risky time because the party is changing things. The playing field is changing. What was it last week? I played for you the sounds of the, uh, the, the economic minister in Canada going, oh yeah, there's no right to own property in Canada. There's no, there's no absolute right to own property. And a lot of Canadians said, oh, what? Yeah, we took that away. Um, also with the obvious rigging of the supply chains and it's terrible. So get what you can right now secured in that five-year window. Work with a guy who is 100% focused on risk management. doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to make money in your, in your portfolio. Goodness gracious, yes. But making money and stacking that up and, you know, five years of 20% returns, boom, you get 100% loss. So Bulwark Capital Management works in the realm of risk management for people nearing retirement, even early retirement. Speaking of Megan's situation, I know a number of cops who didn't think they could retire early. I know Boeing employees who knew that didn't think they could retire early. They called Bulwark Capital Management. Zach and the team did the math and said, not only can you retire early, you can retire in style. So that might be a great surprise waiting for you. Focus on risk management. Just call them, find out, make it information you have rather than doubts you feel. I like that. Make it information you have rather than doubts you feel. Bulwark Capital Management, 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management and Investment Advisor Representative, Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. So, uh, Megan is with us and we're talking through the life of an eight-year Seattle cop and we've gotten to the, hey, you won't take an injection that's unsafe and violates your Christian faith, so we're going to fire you portion of the story. And now there's this. Um, you, the thread, the common thread, the theme of your very well-written, sadly beautiful notes uh, resigning Megan Reynolds is cowardice. And then I read about um, a kind of stalking incident that occurred to you. And this, I gotta be honest, this, this sort of infuriated me. Um, so, and I can imagine, I mean, I've never met your husband, but I'm going to take a wild guess that he might not be the guy whose wife you stalk something. I'm just, I'm guessing here. I could be wildly wrong, but can we talk about that as uncomfortable as that was? Because that should not happen. You guys are law enforcement. So can we run through that? Absolutely. Yes. So um, when my husband and I started dating, um, his ex 
girlfriend worked at the department too. And that was, that's my stalker. <laughs> and um, wow. she was a detective at the North Precinct. And so she had this, you know, desk and apparently lots of time on her hands. And um, it, it came to our knowledge through my husband's family members saying that she had taken some pictures of messages that I had sent to a dispatcher that I was talking to. And they were innocuous. It was me just talking about I was a little uncomfortable and uneasy around his family still. But she sent that to them to try to cause more discord and, and cause issues. So he brought that up to OPA. They did an investigation. They OPA, gave her a slap OPA on means, just, uh, let's make sure people know what OPA means. Okay. Um, yeah, the Office of Police Accountability. Okay, right. So he brought her up to OPA. Yeah. All right. Yes. And so there is, yeah, there's this oversight that um, investigates if you're doing something that's like a policy violation. Yeah. Um, brought that to them. They gave her a slap on the wrist. I don't do that again. And they didn't really thoroughly investigate this. So my husband and I got the uh, OPA um, case after it was done through a PDR. And we found that they just really, really uh, dropped the ball there. And there was just all this other evidence of her, you know, stalking me, like logging in to her workstation, immediately running my remote logs, which would show you any call I'd been on, any messages that I'd sent to any other officers or dispatchers through my um, mobile device in my in my car when I'm logged in into the system in Seattle. And then she could also um, stalk me through my GPS so she can map me. Then you can see exactly where that officer is because um, our, our cars have GPS locators in them. So she could just click on me and see where I'm at anywhere in the city at any time she wanted to. <laughs> and she was doing it and she would log into work and she would run my logs and she would map me. And there were times, there were days that she would do it. And it was like, you know, several times throughout the day, 20 times a day uh, and one, on one work shift for her. She'd come in at five, six o'clock in the morning, log in, run my stuff and immediately start reading through it. And it was unnerving to me. I'm like, why? with somebody spend their time doing this, first of all, but also why isn't the department doing something about this? So I brought it to the attention of some supervisors and OPA and they're like, well, we're, we're investigating it. We'll do something, you know, but there was never, okay, but what are you going to do about it now? Cause it's currently happening. So could you maybe tell her to knock it off or not allow her that access to those, those systems anymore? And they said, well, if it really bothers you that much, why don't you go get an anti-harassment order? I'm like, okay, but you're a police department. <laughs> Oh, you're the one giving her access to do these things. And I'm bringing it to your attention and telling you that it's disturbing to me because I mean, we've all seen it in the news where a police officer goes crazy, especially whenever it's like a relationship thing where there's an ex involved or something and they go crazy and they kill somebody. It happens, you know? So I brought that to their attention too because there was a case that had just happened in, in the South somewhere where um, the ex-girlfriend got a little crazy and tried to kill both the the, new, the ex-boyfriend and the new girlfriend. And I was like, this is going to happen. You guys need to do something about this behavior. It's really crazy. It's erratic and it's disturbing. That's when they told me, go get your anti-harassment order. Okay. So I presented the same exact stuff to the judge that I gave the supervisors who know the system, who know all of this stuff, gave that to a judge who I have to explain what these things are and what it means. And they immediately granted me an anti-harassment order. And it was served on her. And the very next day that she logged into work, she ran my logs again and no. violated the anti-harassment order. And I'd given it to my supervisor. So I said, here's my anti-harassment order. Now what are you going to do to protect me? Now what are you going to do to make sure she's not running my logs and mapping me 
and I'm pregnant at this time. So I'm you know, going through all this during my pregnancy. And what are you going to do to protect me? And they're like, well, we'll give it to HR, human resources. I said, okay, but what are they going to do? And there was never any follow-up. They never told me what they were going to do to protect me. And then I find out a few months later through a public disclosure request that she immediately, the first time that she logged back into work after being served with the temporary anti-harassment order, she logged in and ran my law. And had the anti-harassment Allowing somebody to commit a crime using their police system after I already brought it to their attention several times. So it was very disturbing. And now she's being charged with a crime. And now she's facing charges and they're pending right now. But it took me giving all of that information and all that evidence to OPA so many times before they did anything about it. And it was after she finally violated it and they were like, oh no, now there's a crime. And they had to send it over for criminal investigation that anything even happened. And here you are. So, and that's mm-hmm. not, yeah, yeah. And here you are no longer a cop. Right. But she's not either. She eventually got fired for uh, perjuring herself in court during the anti-harassment order. Because she, she did. The judge called her out for it at the end of our hearing. She said, I believe that you perjured yourself in my courtroom today. And I gave that to OPA and they finally did fire her because they lied. she lied in her interviews to them whenever they were asking her questions about the things that she was doing and what she, how she had misrepresented what she was doing to the court. Because she was like, oh, I I was just making sure she wasn't at the precinct because I didn't want to run into her or what, you know, she's just making up these lies and finally they caught her in a bunch of her lies and they fired her for um, dishonesty, but they didn't fire her for stalking me or harassing me. The firing came from her lying to them and perjuring herself in court. Well, on one hand, I am glad that she uh, has to face accountability for what she did. On the other hand, I think, Megan, of, uh, to bring this back where we began talking about your experience in the streets, um, I am thinking about all the people you had to risk your life to rearrest because they were let go. I'm thinking yeah. of you like coming out and arresting someone for an attempted rape and then seeing them on the street two or three days later, because I, I don't even need to ask. I know these things happened. And people don't understand that every time cops have to rearrest someone, it's another opportunity to um, be hurt or killed or God forbid, have to take a life. So what, if you were to name names at the top in Seattle, um, are there people that you agree are attempting to destroy that city by way of destroying the country? When you already said it yourself earlier, when you were talking about Tashana's launch, it's, it's no uh, surprise to anybody that she kept come right, comes right out, you know, and yeah. it's, you know, all about, um, it's a division. It's just causing a lot of division and basically bringing communism into the city under a guise, you know, right. that this is good, you know, and that's what any, any communist tyrant says is, they did it wrong in the past. I know how to do it better. Right. 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 They always say that, but we're the smart ones. I always, I I remember when Jay Inslee was disallowed from attending a memorial for murdered cop in central Washington. Um, the dictator of Washington state, Jay Inslee. Um, I think this goes all the way to the very top. And I want to ask a, a question as, as we wrap this up. And I mean, this is obviously something you and your husband have to pray about. Do you think, that Seattle, I mean, the Lord can do anything. We know that Megan, 
but the Lord has a very clear personality when it comes to cities who hate him. You don't, you're a person of, of the Lord. I, I trust that your, your husband is as well. Um, he has a really long history of saying, I'm going to give you guys a whole lot of time to really get my, um, my sense of outrage up and I'll mm -hmm. fill my cup of wrath. One day I'll pour it out. Um, mm -hmm. and, and he could also turn and, and he can also say, okay, you've come back to me and, and, um, I'll accept that. Do you think Seattle is savable? Absolutely not. I mean, I don't know what the Lord has and he can do all things. Right. Yeah. So as it, it would be, it'd be the same as if God decided to save Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe. Right. Right. We know how that story went. So I think we're further from that. I mean, we had a sermon pretty recently about um, Sodom and Gomorrah. And just how, how our world that we're living in now is even worse. They're talking about how it's even worse than that was. Well, and yeah. I believe that. I, Seattle's much worse. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah. was. Um, I've said it and, and I got criticized once by a TV personality and a very good TV reporter. The only, I think, really good TV reporter in Seattle because I called the, um, we're supposed to call them homeless camps and I called them sex trafficking camps. It is though. And, and, and they run guns through there. We know it. As police officers, we know it. We have to go, whenever we respond to the jungle, that's what it's those homeless camps are referred to, especially the part that runs along the I-5 corridor um, up there on the east side where like Jose Rizal is and stuff. Yeah. That area that's like trees, they call it the jungle. And we know that it's sex trafficking. As police officers, we've seen it. We've, we respond to rapes there all the time. And we know that they have guns. So when we respond to the jungle, you have to respond with a, a minimum of, I don't remember what it is now, but it was like four or five officers, but everybody comes, anybody who's not on a call and they know you're going into the jungle for something, they'll just come to the call anyway, because we know how dangerous it is going in there, but we know there's guns. Yeah. We know there's guns yeah. in all those tents, but you know, a tent is a, a house and we have to have, you know, right. <laughs> advice, you know, the fourth amendment right and have a search warrant to search a tent and yeah. You know, people that don't understand this, Megan, um, th they truly do not understand. When I say it's fallen, there was a guy who made a very foolish decision. I understand emotionally why to make this decision to try to go get some stuff back um, at a sex trafficking camp along Aurora. And for mm -hmm. some reason, he took his kids and his wife and he rolled up to the scene and they'd stolen something from him that he wanted back. And he is instantly surrounded by guys mm -hmm. who are hard. And it's, look, that's a San Quentin prison yard. That guy barely escaped with his life. And they know they're untouchable. And here we have a city that is now, my friend and former colleague Jason Rance has counted Seattle being about 800 cops light. And they're kicking cops out because they choose to not take the knee uh, to big pharma. And yeah. um, this audience, I would ask uh, everybody in this audience to pray um, <clears throat> that the Lord will restore seven times what Megan has lost, um, that he will afford her a double blessing of the Holy Spirit, uh, that she and her family will be wrapped in the armor of God, that they will be uh, given the blessing of putting on Christ, of being in the armor of light. And we ask this, of our loving father. And we ask this in the name of his son and our Messiah and our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Um, and uh, keep in touch with us. Tell your husband, we're so thankful that uh, we got to 
talk with his wife a little bit today and, and also tell your, you tell your husband that, um, uh, to be safe, we, uh, <laughs> we worry about him. We worry about him. Okay. <laughs> I know. You tell him to be safe and you got a lot of people praying for you. Thank you so much, Thanks. Megan, for joining us on the program today. Yeah. So when we talk about the national scene and Seattle, that stuff is coming to a city near you unless we elect godly leaders, because what we heard there is ungodly cowardice on behalf of these bosses. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind. And as always, let's endeavor in everything we do to not just believe in the Lord Jesus, but to endeavor to live like we believe in the Lord Jesus.